Forgetting Asheville is an actual play Chronicles of Darkness podcast set in the fictional New England town of Asheville. We're all friends, we're here to have fun, but our story can include graphic violence, drug use, sexual content, and other mature themes. Content warnings can be found in the show notes. We've talked at our table about safety, comfort, and consent, both as players and storytellers. We know what to expect, we're all excited to be here, and we want you to feel the same. So listener discretion is advised. Now let's forget our troubles. Last time on Forgetting Asheville, the friends gathered and talked about the cult and the threats to the town. Lola explained how the Fae had taken her and her involvement in the disappearance of Jesse and Dan's uncle. The death mage and the changeling dove into John's memories and discovered that John's mother Ramona was behind Aviva's death. In the real world, Ramona arrived, but Aviva chose violence. Before the enraged awakened could undo the bound's bargain, the others surfaced, and John's mother left for the moment. This is your house. What are like the potential sleeping arrangements here? Like, presumably you have your room, although you had been sleeping at Ernie's on the couch for a while. Right. So there is a master bedroom, and he has one room for a guest. And then there's the the den where there's a fireplace that sits and, uh, you know, the big couch, love seat, you know, a very nice arrangement. Uh, what he does is he leads the wolves and Lola up to the guest room. He heads over to a closet, opens it up to kind of reveal extra sheets, blankets, things for the room that he keeps uh, in that closet in the event it's ever used. It does not seem like uh, it has ever been used. There's that kind of smell of like unused laundry. Like it was cleaned a long time ago and then folded into a closet and just hasn't been touched in God knows how long. I don't know. Has it even been cleaned or is it in the plastic wrap? Ooh, good question. Uh, it is probably in the plastic wrap. <laughs> this has never been used. And then he has the master bedroom, which if it has been used, it has not been used in a very long time. But it is It's very nice. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, the small collection of like records from like '90s, early 2000s uh, music, big TV. Like this is a very comfortable environment that he just never seems to make use of. So, you guys go ahead and take these rooms. I'm gonna try to sleep. Once in the house, Jesse and Wolf form kind of goes around one of the corners through a room and comes out the other side back in human form. And you can see that at this point he's actually already changed his clothes from his fur jacket and uh, ridiculous appearance. And now he's wearing a big, wide, white and blue striped tank top with plaid pants uh, and a pair of, like, white pointy cowboy boots. It also looks like he's wearing a Massachusetts State Trooper hat. Somewhat familiar. Oh, the hat. God damn it. John, where are you going? Because I just saw your mom step out of nothing into... I don't feel like we should be in... I don't know. Well, I'm headed to the shower. You guys all want to, like, do a sleepover in the in the master bedroom? Or not the master, the uh, sleepover in, like, the, the big uh, living space with the fireplace? Or maybe not the fireplace. He looks over at you. It's fine. I'll just find somewhere far from it. If that's what you guys want to do, yeah. I just... I don't know. I, I know Lola didn't want to be alone, and your mom just pops out of nowhere, and... How big's the Okay, den? here's here's the thing. Before we start spiraling into paranoia, 
reflects magnetic actually help. She is able to perform magic anywhere and does not need to be there when it happens. She can do it at any time, including in the past. So even if everything goes fine, later on, what happened in the past can change. And there's nothing we can do to stop those two facts. John, you get the most colossal eye roll. It looks like it hurts. It is extreme from Aviva. So my thought is this. Can she, cro- can she cross the gauntlet? If she needs to. With enough time, preparation, and mind you, she can make time. Maybe if it's chewed apart. So, my thought is this. If she wants a fight, that she will establish a fight, and there is no changing that. It doesn't matter if we're right next to each other. It doesn't matter if we're far away from each other. Because space doesn't matter here. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drink and watch movies until I fall asleep. And you are welcome to listen to the blaring of the the movie while I wait to pass out. Or you can use your own separate rooms. But so long as we're generally by each other and generally interested in helping each other out if something happens, we are as okay as we are going to be. And for the record, it says looking at Aviva, I think you actually landed a punch on my mom. I don't think she's going to want to mess with you anytime soon. I won't want to mess with me either. <laughs> Spider-Man theme. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as Aviva's here, we're probably safe from her. Everyone good with that? Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. All right. The eye rolls continue as if you hadn't said anything, but she doesn't argue with you. Sounds good. Jesse uh, drops his bag, roots through it, pulls out a, a, uh, a camping hammock, and proceeds to find somewhere in the main living area, or the ma- in the main living room by the TV, where he can affix a hammock. Yeah, from the mantle of the fireplace to like, there's like columns or whatever I'll right here, right? Him. Like, <laughs> yeah, plenty of places. There's plenty of ways for you to just set it up a hammock. It was remodeled by a matter mage. Yeah, so like, not hard for you to to find a place to, even if you you know maybe have to fuck up the drywall. A I can't bit. really break anything in here, right? As he puts a hole in part of the drywall. <laughs> Don't set out to do it. Well, but yeah, I can I can yeah. fix it if we need to. <laughs> he kind of looks at you like kind of like quizzically as he's tying a rope around a stud that he just kind of like pulled into the dry, drywall. Okay. Don't don't do that again. No, just just do it once. It's just rude. I go <laughs> I get like it's like a drywall patch kit. <laughs> no, I, I, I get rum. <laughs> I get some rum. I sit down on the couch. I turn on the TV. And I put on, like, Fright Night or something. And once everyone's kind of comfortable, uh, I lower the lights. I sit back. And I just kind of chill with some rum and watch Fright Night. And basically, I'm going to be doing that until... I go back to my dreamscape. So as dawn begins to approach, how and where is everyone falling asleep? Dan is going to have a protein and beer smoothie 
Um, oh. <laughs> Why? I don't know. That's not in my home. That is evil. Oh, that makes fix it. That is evil. Yeah. But they're just two. Is that a thing? I need to know. Do people do that? No, they're just separate. I have them at the same time. Oh, okay. that's fine. Yeah. Oh, you're just double fisting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. No. Nope. Still not fine. He fucking mixes those two things. Do not lie about that. <laughs> <laughs> my intention, because I don't think. Ugh. I was wanting to use a blender at this time, a morning slash night, is just to to do like a double slam. <laughs> God. Crush the bear can, turn into my wolf form, and do a couple circles in the living room on my laid out sleeping bag and, and fall asleep sideways. Lola falls asleep basically using big wolf Dan as a pillow, just curled up in herself protectively. I think... Stays in reality, though. Does not disappear when she falls asleep. I think uh, Jesse strings up his hammock up above the two of them and very quickly passes out in the hammock with all of his arms and legs hanging over the side, dangling. Maybe reassuringly, you actually do, as you're falling asleep, feel a little touch on the tips of your fingers. Does John have, like, a windowsill that you could theoretically sit in? By, like, the sunroom. It's not, is it the same room or is it? No, it's just by it. Big okay. window boxes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Then Aviva is gonna steal. If there's, pi- are there pillows? I know this is a bachelor pad. I don't want to assume too much. This is not a. I mean, <laughs> it's cared for like one. Yeah. Uh, yeah are there pillows? There's I could blankets, steal. Blankets, pillows. Yeah, I'll nab a couple pillows and uh, one of the blankets and take up residence in the window. So, kind of turning her back to people, but it's kind of transparent that she's still keeping an eye on everyone. It's a good spot. It almost... It looks like she's kind of used to... Like she needs something... Like a hard floor or something to sleep up against. Eventually, as everything kind of winds down, and the movie's kind of playing pretty quietly, John drinks, and by the time he's like halfway through it, he finally manages to lay down on the couch and closes his eyes. And all of you, after literally who knows how long drift off to sleep some of you to dreamless escapes of nothing some of you to weirdly pleasant dreams of you know fights and chases familiar feelings of like comforting nightmares or some of you to the sounds of crackling and screams and everyone falls asleep as the sun begins to rise everyone sleeps in the living room in John's house. Aviva, you had been sort of curled up in the breakfast nook by the window, and you wake in the early pre-dawn hours before everyone else has gotten up yet. The house is quiet. It's like that liminal state where the world is like waiting to come back alive just before the sun is up, but you can see that lightning in the sky out the windows. Aviva's pretty used to getting up early. And the way that she stretches out, she's probably pretty used to sleeping strange places, too. She's stifling the yawn, trying to stretch and get out of the window nook as quietly as she can. Sneak by everyone, checking over to see that everyone's okay. John is asleep on the couch, a bottle of liquor next to him. The TV, in that state where it's just like, hey... Are you still there? On, but not playing anything. Hmm. Dan, as a big wolf, 
is asleep uh, over in the corner. Uh, Lola here in the physical world curled up next to him. Jesse in, in like a hammock that he strung up on John's walls. Everyone is here. Everyone seems to be safe. Uh, and they are still sleeping for the moment at least. Then on her way over to the kitchen, Aviva's gonna take the bottle. If she can find the cap, she'll do it and recap it. She will actually just drop it off on the counter. As she's getting into the kitchen, she's got an objective. Is everything that we use for the chili, is it clean or is it in the sink? I'm probably looking at Dan for that question. Probably clean. Okay. But would it be on like a drying rack? Like where would you have put it? Wherever is appropriate, probably. Yeah, there's John has like a washing, like a dishwasher, but there's also like a drying rack next to it. And so there's a few plates and spoons and a couple of bowls kicking around in there. In that case, Aviva's going to pick out specifically what was used for the chili. It seems easy enough to kind of determine that by what's on the drying rack. Five bowls, five spoons. Yeah. She will take it carefully as if it's like fine china. I mean, it is probably pretty expensive. John's things are nice. (laughs) Yeah. John has a lot of really nice stuff. I'm going to bring it over to the dining room. And I'm going to set it up nicely. Um, And I put everything in its proper formal place. I'm going to go back between the kitchen and the dining room and make sure to get, like, each place a napkin... Oh, sorry, cups as well. Like, like the full thing, as if it's a formal dinner, but she's not actually preparing any food. Candles. I'm looking for candles. The table in the dining room uh, is like this really heavy, rich wood. There's like a table runner across the middle, and there's like a candelabra in the middle. Mm-hmm. A couple of just like unlit, untouched candles in here. A little dusty, honestly, because like John doesn't really have people over for dinner parties. But there are other candles and things sort of around the room, and... Uh, you find a couple, you know, a couple just plain white wax candles, some red candles, some black candles. Like, there are, there are just a few different colors um, hanging around. There's, like, a whole drawer full of, like, like, for a guy who doesn't do dinner parties, there's a lot of candles in John's house. Aviva's looking a little suspicious of all the candles. And she'll actually, even though she's found the ones that aren't dusty, she kind of, like, examines them and seems to have some sort of strange hesitation and instead reverts to the ones that were already in the candelabra and goes and uh, washes them off, carefully dries them, brings them back over. She'll take one match and set it into the bowl for each person, as if that's the meal. And she'll kind of find a place to chill. Maybe she'll go back to her window nook and just kind of wait for people to wake up. Do you light the candles yet or no? No. Okay. So you go back and you sit in the window nook. Lola, having made the choice that you made when you went to sleep last night, you sleep a fitful and dreamless sleep. And eventually, you wake up. You can feel heat next to you when you wake up. And at first, it's a little disorienting until you realize the heat is just coming off of, like, a large wolf that you fell asleep next to and Dan's chest rise and falls. Lola, having not experienced a sleep that was dreamless pretty much at any point for many, many years now, 
it's not the kind of quiet that gives peace. It's the kind of quiet where you're waiting for something to happen. But she does sleep, and she does sleep beside her friends. Sleeping in a pile is not unfamiliar to her. She probably slept better because she was against someone, but that it was someone furry was a little bit of a start. And she kind of like shakes a bit as she sits up, looks around, rubs the side of her face, kind of blinks a few times as she regains her orientation. And it's bizarre. Nothing has changed since she fell asleep. The, the world has not been remade in mother's image. Nothing has been radically altered that she needs to hit the ground running to deal with. This is maybe waking up is the most relaxing part of having been asleep this time. And she just kind of looks around to see what everyone else is up to. There's a little wave from Aviva. She kind of gives an early morning wave and kind of pushes her hands into her eyes as she rubs the sleep from them. And then she gets up and kind of wanders over to see what Aviva's up to. Once everyone's up, uh, there's a thing I want to do. Okay. Um, what, what kind of a thing? Aviva kind of, like, quirks her head, raises an eyebrow, and goes, I'm making breakfast. Oh. Like, um, like the peanut butter chili? It's gonna be a little different, but it's probably best explained when everyone's up. Okay. Dan, you're an early riser. Usually, right? You get up pretty good. You know, workout routines and all that. Uh, and Lola getting up and, like, leaving your space leaves that little, like, cold spot of absence there. Uh, and then the, the hushed conversation nearby. You start, to, you start to come to. In your lupine form, stretch, and you are awake as well. I look around, see some people are still asleep, see some people are awake. I'll move out of the room and start shifting up. Might as well move quietly till I get out. Yeah, just kind of peek around and see what's going on. Poke some stuff. You see that the, the dining room is set for like a fancy meal, it looks like. Or at least a fancy cereal breakfast, because it's bowls and spoons. And the girls are over by the breakfast nook near the kitchen, just talking you see Jesse start to, like, shift in that way that you know your brother starts, like, he's going to be up soon as he starts to stir as well. Yeah, I'd probably move over there with a, a big yawn and be like, so what's on the menu? Well, I honestly don't really know how you'll feel about it in a culinary sense, but it's something I can do to help. It's a pretty loaded statement. You're probably a better cook than me. But if this works out, could really set us up well for the efforts that we got to make moving forwards. I mean, effort goes a long way to flavor things. Yeah, I guess that's one way to describe it. Now the conversation's picking up a little bit more, Jesse. You start to rouse in uh, in your hammock, coming back to consciousness. Uh, You hear Dan's voice first, and then Aviva's and Lola's, as they're sort of quietly chatting nearby. Just he glances over to the window. Is it light outside? It is starting to lighten. Yeah, it's, it's not like... Like, the sun is basically coming up at this point. He flips around to being on his back in the hammock to being face down. 
still letting his hands and, and, and legs dangle. And then kind of just tries to get a little bit more sleep. You roll back over and try and get back to sleep. John, after a while, you awake with a start from a familiar nightmare. John jerks up to a sitting position on the couch and kind of cradles his forehead in his hands, trying to kind of nurse this bit of a headache that he's given himself. He looks around, uh, seems a little surprised at first, but kind of remembers why everyone's there. And he gets up and starts moseying towards the the bathroom a little clumsily as uh, you know, he kind of sees the, the three that are awake and gives you guys a little bit of a nod. Morning. 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 Yeah. Pat's Dan on the back. And then heads into the bathroom to, like, you know, take care of himself, searches the medicine cabinet for something to deal with the headache. It's not unfamiliar. You've got... You've got ibuprofen, you've got a, you Tylenol. You've got a few things in there to deal with this specific feeling. Yeah, he's done this dance. <laughs> like, do, you, do you take the time to like just fully take a shower and stuff, or do you just like splash water in your face, take care of the headache? And He's going to address out. the headache and then go back out just to kind of check on everyone. It was a long night the night before, so. Yeah. It was a long um, week. Yeah. <laughs> But once he's out, he, uh, and kind of more of a hushed tone to not, like, wake up Jesse, you still out. It's a lot to do today. Yeah, I was hoping that I could get us a good start. It doesn't always work, but there's something I picked up. Kind of way to serve. It's not really a meal, I guess, but I... What is it? It's a way that we can... Refocus our efforts, rejuvenate ourselves. Um, it takes our potential and brings it back to the forefront. That little bit of will that we can focus and make sure it's available. That something about the ritual, the ceremony, it makes it as if we're at our best. I can do with that. Uh... Thanks. What do you need us to do? I'll run you through it in the dining room. Honestly, I don't really want to wake up Jesse. It's, um... When you say that, you notice that Jesse's... You actually look over to see him smelling what's on the counter. You didn't notice that he had gotten up or moved her over here, but somehow he just kind of had filtered in unnoticed. And his nose kind of up, his whole expression upturns at the smell of whatever you've prepared. There's no smell other than, other than matches. It's uh, it's I, I, it's like you look over into the bowl and there's kind of that like phosphorus, sulfur. What's what, what's the matches smell? It's like a sulfur smell. Sulfur smell. For yours, yeah. For the yeah. for that matchbook, it's like a sulfur smell. So that's that's the smell that you find. Uh, and Aviva is kind of trailing off, and saying, "I don't really want to wake up Jesse because." You know, it's been rough for it, and she sees you. A small series of nods, and she goes, Oh, that works. What the hell is this? It's a bowl. It smells like farts. They're old-fashioned matches. I mean, you should really blame John. They're his tastes. 
You like fart matches? Yes, Jesse, that's exactly what's going on. Weirdo. <laughs> Lola actually does laugh, which I imagine is a different sound than when Dolores laughs. John kind of like gives a look of acknowledgement of the laugh and smiles himself. If you guys will follow me, uh, I mean, all right. I'll explain it, but what this will be is basically a phantasmal meal. Um, I was, I was okay. talking about it earlier, Jesse. I don't know if you heard me. I, oh. I don't know when you... You were, you were, you were very loud. I am sorry. You were... I, on a side note, you were absolutely not, but... <laughs> yeah, this sorry does not seem what, incredibly sincere. <laughs> whether, whether he's being cheeky or not, you're not sure. <laughs> There's like an edge of hesitance as if like, well, maybe I am loud to a werewolf, but it's not the most sincere sorry in the world. Well, hopefully I can make it up. Everyone take a seat if you're down for it. Down for eating fart matches? You don't actually have to eat the match. Is this like in Hook when they they had the meal that they ju- they pretended was there and so it was real? I have not seen that movie, but I'm guessing it's kind of similar. Okay. Lola takes a seat and picks up her spoon. Uh, Hang on a sec. Uh, Put it back. She sets it back down. Thank you. All right. What I'm going to want is for everyone to take a seat. To do this in silence, if we can. I'm going to ask everyone to pick up... Well, I'm going to gesture for everyone to pick up their match. I'm going to light mine, and then we'll bring the matches together so that we can light the candelabra all at once. Uh, John, are these candles okay to... He gives a nod. From what you're describing so far, it seems like they're being put to proper use. What does that mean? It means that you're using them with intent, which is good. Okay, do they, like, do mage stuff, or...? Well, they're not mages, so... Uh, they generally just do candle things. All right. All right. Okay. So we'll light the candelabra all at once. Sounds good. And then afterwards, place the burnt match, once you've put it out, back into the bowl. Take your hands and wave, not literally, as if you're waving the light of the candle inwards towards yourself five times over the bowl as if bringing the energy of the candle into the bowl to consume think about everything that we've been through think about all the meals we haven't eaten all the struggles we've gone through and focus on it and if it works that's when it'll happen and you can open your eyes back up all good yes I'm ready when you are. John, you're very sassy today, and I like it. I'm doing my best. Okay. Okay, Rebecca, mm-hmm. make the roll for your oh. ceremony. The ceremony is called Dumb Supper, and this is a stamina plus expression roll. Unfortunately, Aviva does not have expression. So, I would li- like to use the willpower I've regained from sleeping. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, shit. 
Uh, uh, roll three more dice. <laughs> All right. That's four that is successes so far. Four successes so far. <laughs> roll three more dice. Okay. <laughs> Got him. Five successes. That is an exceptional success. Nicely done. So with five successes, that is an exceptional success on Dumb Supper. So here's what happens. All of you sit down. You all pick up your matches out of the bowls. And then a cold wind that smells of ancient stagnant water blows through the room. And each of your latches lights at once. Lighting the candelabra. It is as if every light in the room dims except for the light of the candles. The morning sun that was starting to stream through the windows lessens as if this room cannot hold any light but the light that was brought into it. There is a chill, dread feeling of death in the air. The five of you take the steps to ritualistically have a supper together. And over the course of nearly an hour, John's table is big. It can seat like eight people. There's only the five of you. And as the meal continues to go on, occasionally the five of you mime eating this breakfast and go through the steps of this seance. Those who do open their eyes who sneak a peek once in a while will see that sometimes you are not alone at the table. That on occasion, there are other ghostly, translucent apparitions eating with you. Sometimes it looks like a woman dressed in the styles of like the late 70s, early 80s. Sometimes it looks like someone from the modern day. All victims of violent deaths. And then sometimes you see older spirits. Apparitions of pilgrims, apparitions of natives to the area from hundreds of years ago. And the room is in complete and deathly silence as everyone eats. And even these visitors to your meal seem to partake in the meal with you. A sense of fellowship that crosses from the world of the living into the world of the dead and back again. And at the conclusion of the meal, when the candles have almost entirely burned down, the apparitions do not fade quite as quickly, and for a minute it is ill. The entire room is filled with ghosts, looking slightly more at peace than they were a minute ago. And all of you refresh all of your willpower. And then the candles burn down, and by this point the natural light of the sun comes back into the room, the slight breeze that you have all felt for the last hour, the slight trickling of water and scent of stagnancy and sulfur that you all have smelled for the last hour, the chill in the air, the unnatural, like, slight feeling of unease that was tempered only by your connections to each other also goes away. And John's dining room is once again empty, just the lingering smell of a burned-out candle. This sense that it would not have been okay to speak goes away. And all of you are once again here together 
feeling, if not physically nourished, mentally and emotionally nourished by this meal that Aviva prepared for everyone. Aviva's quiet. She's watching the spots on the walls where the different apparitions faded out. Seems to be a sense of peace with her as she's just watching watching people come to their own peace. Is there a, a way to put that in like a post-workout mix or something like that? Because that'd be fantastic. John exhales with his eyes kind of still closed as if like savoring the, the moment. That helped a lot, Aviva. Thank you. Wow, I um... <sighs> He, like, adjusts his seat. No commercialization, unfortunately. <sighs> doesn't come in a powder. Make some serious cash that way. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could take on today. And now I do. Well, we're all gonna have to. You ready now? Yeah. What are we starting with, then? Jesse, who is actually crouching on top of the seat the whole time, not actually sitting in it, mm-hmm. uh, stands up to his full height on top of the seat and kind of with a big wide grin goes, me and Dan are headed to the Hasil. You guys getting another form of breakfast? We got a couple of things to do there. All right. Then I think that has us finishing out. You had that list of names, John. I do. He looks to um, Lola. So when we talked to the the, the cop, Estrada explains to us that there's been a string of murders that's been going on for a while. But proof of it doesn't quite exist because it gets covered up as like car accidents, what have you. We think that the cult is killing people and in order to fuel something. So what I want to do is, with the list of names that I was able to get from him, call on those names and see what they remember, what they know, um, if, if their spirits even exist anymore. I figure with that, we can arm ourselves with as much information as possible before Dan and I take the cult up on its offer for a meeting. Now, important thing, Gary is one of the more active, uh, at least in terms of public appearances, members of that group. So there's a good chance that in terms of uh, mundane to some of their darker secrets, Gary may well be in the know. I don't know what to think of Gary. I, he almost feels too normal. I think Gary's a pushover. He could be our in. Gary has spent... He's one of those guys who spent a lifetime choosing what was... what he was told is the right path. Is there a chance he just doesn't know what the cult is doing? I think there's a very good chance he doesn't know. I think that when he invites people over, I think when he smiles and gives greetings... I think he means it every time. It's just that he lives a life that doesn't have much meaning. That doesn't necessarily make him a bad guy. There's a lot of victims of what's going on, and I think he might just be a different type. Do I need to go talk to him? 
I'm thinking that out of all of us, aside from his weird interactions with Dan, um, you're probably the most likely to be able to get information out of him. I mean, I don't find him that weird. Happens to me all the time. He does. He does. I can... I just never know what you two are talking about. I I can talk to him. I just... It's going to be weird if I'm also with him while I'm talking to him. To his eyes. So do we know what Dolores is up to? I don't know what Dolores is up to. Does she have a job or something that she would be in a certain place and maybe I could count on her being there? I mean, Dolores is most certainly a creature of routine. Ugh. (laughs) So, I would assume yes. Okay. I guess you could maybe stop by sometime that would seem like a lunch break. But that might also be her lunch break that she stops by to see him. I'll figure something out. Jesse, who's just been standing up in the chair looking down on all you guys, stretches out really far definitely looks like he kind of separates his spine a little bit as he kind of does this very elongated stretch yawns and then puts on his sunglasses goes all right well while you guys figure out how to reconnect with your garbage selves uh we got to go to the hisiel come on dan he hops down and starts walking out i don't know what he means but we'll catch you guys later my self mother self is made of garbage that's not very nice of you to say she's eggshells and orange peels all right, we'll get you guys later. Yeah, I'll have fun being werewolves, I guess. Usually do. Good luck with your hopes and dreams. The door just closes. <laughs> <laughs> John, if you... You don't have to have those dreams anymore if you don't want them. They're a part of me. That's why I didn't just do it. And sometimes they're the only place that's really safe. They can end sooner if you don't want to see it, though. I wouldn't change a thing. I would. Okay. Do you want to not drink that much for it? I wouldn't change a thing. More importantly, while you do need to get into contact with Gary, you can't do it alone. I can't be alone. So, in order to avoid stretching ourselves a little too thin, why don't you stick with us while we do the summoning? We'll come along with you when you go talk to Gary. Okay. Even if we're just in the area that way, if you call for help, we can be right there. Okay. When do you want to do it? If she's at work, conceivably work ends five-ish, so maybe three-ish. Maybe say that she got off of work early. Makes sense to me. It doesn't sound like a conversation they would repeat, so right. I think that'd work out really well. And then if she shows up, I can just step into a shadow. Does that work for what you're doing? I can do what we're doing at any time. All right. Sounds like we've got a plan. This is all operating on the assumption that time works. Yeah, well, I guess we gotta roll with that assumption. Jesse and Dan, you leave John's house. Where are you guys headed? So Jesse intends to head towards the quarry, mm-hmm. um, the most stable locus in the area, the one that probably actually usually has the best collection of essence it to does. be had, and is just the 
most pleasant place to cross over, especially with the reflective surface of the water, has always been the quarry. So he just kind of instinctively starts heading there without even really kind of seeing if, if uh, Dan has a, a different idea. Figuring out they're going to the quarry, Dan uh, bowls over Jesse and attempts to get there first. <laughs> All right. Uh, both of you, because it's a long distance away, both of you roll me athletics plus stamina. Uh, if you have any fleet of foot. Stamina. Oh, I also assume that we're in Urhan for this since we're moving. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you have the any. second he bowls him over, the, he, he, he pops over to Urhan to try and get ahead of him. You may add any points of fleet of foot that you have to this if you want as extra dice. A single success. Two successes. Damn. <laughs> Damn, Daniel. Dan outpaces Jesse, gets to the quarry first, but honestly not that much further ahead. Don't um, need to be that much further. Bo- <laughs> exactly. There is one winner. Both of you end up panting, sprinting through the woods. The two of you know where to go, even though you're not following the paths. You, you have a sense of how to get to the quarry. Right. The quarry was just... Exactly what it was. It was an old quarry from a long time ago, filled up with rainwater. This is the place where, you know, people come swimming sometimes or go fishing or whatever. But it's also, you know, a major place of import to the town for a variety of reasons. And, Jesse, you're right. It is the most stable locus in the area. It is the one that Hank sort of used as the one he protected the most. Like, obviously, you, you range your entire area, but this was it. This was the central one. This is actually the quarry a long time ago where the rotting corpse of a deer first gave birth to uh, the spirit that would become the powerful spirit Carrion faced. At the quarry you arrive and uh, it's still kind of early morning so like nobody's here right now. Nobody's you know you don't have to like you know do anything to keep people away. Early or... enough that the sun might not interfere with crossing to the Hasil as well. Nope. Perfect. And the two of you arrive the water is perfectly still crystal clear all the way down to the rocks at the bottom you know there's places around here where like you know you can jump off a 20 foot cliff into the water and like people do and have fun and a couple of people have had accidents occasionally but generally this is actually just a, a very in all of Asheville a dying town this is the one part that is technically a remnant of a dying industry that is just overall a very pleasant place to be a perfect melding of what nature can do, reclaiming the past when man has hewn it from the stone. Now, the actual locus, is it out in the water? It's out in the middle of the water, yes. Uh, to get to the locus, you have to swim down. Yep. I mean, that sounds like we're, we're just going to cliff dive right into the I was going to yeah. say, the, <laughs> our, our probl- the usually, usual way the Wolf Brothers probably use this locus is we go to the cliff. <laughs> We probably dive into the water, and when we come up to the surface, we are in the Hasil. You both dive into the water. Well, here's a question, I guess, because you were racing out here. Are yeah. you guys racing to the edge of the quarry, or are you racing to the locus? I think uh, we're racing to the cliff, okay. I think. So the two of you arrive on the cliff. And it's like a 20-foot drop down into crystalline water. The two of you jump. I'm not going to make you roll for this. You've done it dozens of times. All right. Before, before we jump... Jesse grins at Dan. I'll let you win that one. So she say every time. <sighs> so, when we get over there, yeah, I want to try to find Watcher in the branches. 
Alright. I don't know if we should actually go on a hunt. Because I don't know if we're actually ready to go after the Beshalu. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we need to figure out where they are. The longer we let this wait, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um... We probably should have told them to watch out for rats if they're going to go after Gary. I think we did. A few times. I think they'll be okay. I hope so. Lola summoned lightning, so, you know. I'm sorry, she summoned lightning? Yeah, yeah. Whole storm. Really? Yeah. It's nuts. That's cool. All right. Ready for this? I'm always ready for this. Let's do it. The two of them having to, at this point, back to... I imagine that going into the seal, they might shift to Dalu. So, the question of going in Dalu versus in human form. Mm. Truly, it depends on the impression that you want to give to the spirits that you're talking to. Going in Dalu is a, an aggressive, an inherently aggressive act. Well, I was but, just thinking more about along the lines of what's the best form to do a, a, a leaping swan dive into the water. And I feel like... It depends. I feel like Urhan is really, like, form we end up utilizing to get around the, the shadow the most. Mm. I just don't think a wolf is very good at diving into Wolves water. Wolves are not good at diving into water. Dan may not know that. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> like you, I'm great. <laughs> Going in wolf first, do a little wolf backflip. <laughs> That's a belly flop, my dude. I got the stamina. <laughs> yeah, you ever seen a you ever seen a dog dive into the water? <laughs> it's not graceful. I can make it look graceful. I got it. I, you have more decks than what me. What happened to your voice? This is my dog voice. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I sound the first dog. This is how I talk like a wolf. This is my brother Dan. He's a good boy. <laughs> Damn straight. Damn straight. <laughs> Dan straight. No. We Not, found you. We found his deed name. We found his deed name. <laughs> Dan straight. <laughs> For the the swan dive into into the uh, the water through the um uh no the, the locust. swan sun dive the ah. swan sun dive into the water. Yep. They uh, hold hands while they do it. No. Jesse shifts to Dalu. Okay. Um, just because it's it's just a little bit easier physically to. Hit the water and and swim down, mm -hmm. and so uh, Jesse leaps off the cliff and dives down into the water. Jesse, you dive into the water. You see your reflection approaching in the mirror surface of the quarry, and then hit the water and swim down. And like you've done dozens of times before at this point, you continue swimming down until you s into the darkness of the water, which is weird because it's clear all the way down, but the water gets darker until you see the surface ahead of you, despite the fact that you've continued swimming down. And you swim further down until you break a separate surface and arrive, having crossed the gauntlet, into the shadow. The shadow is a primal and alien place, and you two are Aratha, there is part of you that is at home here. The shadow itself, a place of ideas, is alien and dangerous. And despite the fact that you are Aratha, both of you know that the shadow is barely less dangerous for you than it is for a human being. 
That is just the nature of this place. Colors here seem brighter. The smells seem older and more primal. You can hear, like, the churring of insects and frogs and the, the buzz and flap and chirp and call of birds. And this is a primordial place, particularly here in the quarry, out in the middle of the woods. You know if you go back to town, there are different, more modern concepts and modern ideas. But here at the Locus, you have crossed into this primal place. There are no immediate spirits about. It is well known that this is the place that the Uratha patrol the most. Jesse swims towards shore, and in Dalu form, make pretty short work of it. His excessively muscled frame, which, unlike his normal human form, makes easy work of the swim. Just at the point where he starts getting a little bit into the shallows and his arms are touching the the bottom he begins to transform once again and the hair starts to grow long the limbs become slender the head elongates trotting out of the shallows and shaking water off of his uh, pelt Jesse is back in Urhan Dan did a wolf dive into the pond very gracefully swim and not too far behind Jesse and just comes out as a wolf. And the two wolves paddle out of the shallows onto the rocks and step foot on. You can feel the soft earth beneath your feet. Uh, in the air are the little motes and wisps, the, the very beginnings of you know water spirits and Things that have not yet taken form. Even something like the hand grubbler, right, is it has a sense of identity. So, you know, it is not the powerful being it makes itself out to be, but it has survived long enough to have a sense of identity, a sense of specificity to it. Before that, you know, if you were to talk to spirits of the water here, it would just maybe refer to itself as water. Mm. Lo lesser than that. Are the little motes like fireflies, half-formed, half-formed thoughts and ideas? Muthra of the water. You are in this alien place, watching as you know. Occasionally, little spirits of water from the water will like form up and snatch one of the little water motes. Like feeds on like here. They either reap the essence of things that come from the material plane or they feed on each other. This is a place of a deathless cycle of spirits feeding on spirits, but only the spirits that are like in kind. Water eats water, fear eats fear. That is how they grow. That is the essence of this place. Oh, man, even, even the little, like, Muthra spirits must go absolutely berserk as, like, the Uratha like, sh like kind of shake the water off their fur. Just that act must, like, drive them into, like, a little frenzy it's, and, like, it's of, of motion. Almost like throwing bread on the top of a koi pond. Once he's standing on land, Jesse will kind of flex and absorb the essence that collects around the locus. Mm -hmm. Is there essence to be gained here? At this place, yes. Okay. 
Is there as much as I would expect? No. Hmm. How much essence can we gain at the uh, shore of the locus? Ordinarily, the locus of the quarry generates about nine essence per day. Right now, it's only at a seven. And you can kind of tell, you know, often that generation, like, because the Aratha come here often, lesser spirits don't really want to come around lest they fall prey to the Watchers of the Gauntlet. It's possible that, you know, somebody has fed off of it, you know. Occasionally, Carrion Feast will come by and eat here. Occasionally, the Watcher and Branches will come by and take essence from this place. They're some of the only two that, like, actually dare to. I mean, one of the, the side benefits, occasionally the hand grubbler will come by here just because he sort of can get away with it. Uh, part of the reason he made the pact with you in the first place. Right. So maybe somebody came by and took some of the essence, but the actual just the nature of who you are and what you are here at the Locus, you are pretty sure it's not that anyone has harvested or eaten here recently. It's that there is just less than there should be. Jesse frowns. He had an inkling that was going to be the case. From everything he's heard about what's going on recently, everything he's been noticing what's going on recently, and now the fact that there is apparently a group of Shartha gnawing on the gauntlet and causing damage in the way they do, he's been terrified that it is just going to be a drought in his seal. If it is bad here... If it has drained a little bit here, how bad must some of the other loci be? Mm. And when spirits are starving, your uncle told you once, that is the conditions under which Magath are made. Jesse will absorb three points of essence. Mm -hmm. And as he does so, we'll just kind of uh, turn to Dan. Leave a little bit here at the Locus. I think it's important that we don't drain it dry some of the other spirits in the area might actually be able to use that Dan nods he'll take in two okay the two of you take in the essence of the locus of the quarry refreshing yourselves spiritually readying yourselves as best you can right now for what is to come you know that there are other ways for you to gain essence you could go on a hunt devour some spirits you could eat a person or a wolf, but for now, you have business in the seal. Jesse, you said you wanted to find the Watcher and Branches. How do you go about doing that? In this territory, I know that there are a lot of places to visit, mm -hmm. all with their own dangers and complications. Yes. The weird, ruined representations of Asheville are kind of a scary and haunted place to trek around in the seal. The roads and highways have their own weird reflections. They do. But there's a fair amount of woods. There is. And in the, the woods, there are their own, their own little divisions and places. And I imagine there's a, one particular spot of the woods where the boughs that hang over the pathways are thickest. Mm-hmm. That's where he's going to head. The place where something could stalk above us. Make me a survival wits. Dan, you may help as well. 
I'll definitely help him. And okay. I'm as usually keeping an eye out for eye out for anything um, that needs to be taken out. Okay. A wit's composure for perception. Uh, remember to add your bonus dice for being in Urhan. Jesse, you may add your uh, bonus perception dice for being in Urhan to this survival. Two successes. Okay, that's a success. Um, does my honed senses come into here? Is my one of my wolf gifts? Yeah, this allows me to have uh, exceptional success on three successes for perception versus five. Jesse, take a uh, take a two die bonus from Dan, sort of helping you navigate as the Wolf Brothers run off into the primordial woods. Four successes. With four successes, I will count this as an exceptional success. The two of you race off into the woods, navigating. There are so many things to stop and see if you, if you try to, but one of the things that you do notice is that there are less lesser spirits than one might usually think, which would mean that obviously the greater spirits are devouring the lessers, as is natural. Usually more of that essence, more of that energy is created from the other side of the gauntlet. Right? Like the material world feeds into the spirit and then the spirit devours itself and then also feeds from what is created in the material world. For there to be less of the lesser spirits would naturally mean that less is coming from the material world and thus basically it is being overpredated. Hmm. You've seen little signs of stuff like this, but nothing crazy which means something has started to ramp up in the last however long you've been gone, a week or so. It's not that the drought is coming, the drought is here. And real, realistically, the, the Hasil is so closely tied to the real world that if the fact that the, what's happening in the real world is not what's ha- what's li- it's not lining up with what's happening in the Hasil, it means that there's an imbalance. Yes. And that there's probably some kind of fallout. The only other explanation is that something in the Hisseel, or in the real world, or who knows, is taking up all the essence that should have been created Mm. in a deeply unnatural way. Sounds like John's mom did more harm than she was aware of. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, even just keeping us away for a week. Be very careful. Also means the conditions for Magath are being met, and the spirits that are left, even if they are not Magath, are powerful spirits who have managed to stay alive and on top of the food chain. Dan. Yeah. If there are more Magath here than usual, be very careful, because the way they li- the way they hunt and leave traps are not going to make sense to us the way that we- they usually do. So v- keep an eye peeled for any anything unusual here. Will do. And as Jesse says that, the branches of the trees in the deep part of the woods draw closer and closer until you are in a dark part of the wood. Now, when you were all in the hedge, it was as though a, fairy, a dark fairy tale wood like the deep dark wood this is this is different this is there is nothing of the fairy uh, or fairy tales about this this is 
you you know, th- it doesn't give the idea that maybe there's a path that will lead to a witch's hut. This gives a sense of there are predators in the trees that even as Uratha, I am a modern creature that does not belong in this place of hunting. Half of you feel that way. The other half is one of the hunters who belongs here. And Jesse, with your exceptional success, in addition to sort of putting together the local environment, you will notice, Dan, with your perception successes, so mm-hmm. the two of you will notice, honestly, before you usually do, that you are, in fact, being watched. That somewhere in the branches above you, although you cannot yet see exactly where it is, that feeling of being watched by a predator crystallizes and you are pretty sure that you have caught the attention of the watcher in branches. Do you feel that? Yep. Think he's alright or you think he's gone nuts? Do you simply want to watch us? Or can you talk to us too? A voice comes from everywhere. It is tradition, young Uratha, that gifts be brought. And you feel like a deep and almost resentful judgment in the voice. The two of you are aware that the Watcher and Branches was once the pack totem of your uncle and the others of his pack who used to patrol the area. He is a Watcher by nature. He is a predator who is extraordinarily patient. And he is an old and powerful spirit and thus gives a great deal of weight to how things are done. So in one way, it's comforting. If he is still demanding of gifts and the old ways, he's probably still himself. On the other hand, he just did not bring a gift for him. Can we give him essence? That is an acceptable gift. So in response to that, Dan will be like, watching the branches, we have, I have brought you essence. And there is a fluttering movement above you and an owl the size of a cougar it's like the branches of these firs like all the little needles and all the branches sort of shift suddenly and what appeared to be just a simple tree branch was in fact the wings of this great owl and it stretches up and is suddenly apparent to you. The Watcher in Branches is someone who watches before action at all times, and he is very good at watching unseen. And he stretches to his full height. And I say an owl because he has a flat owl's face, but he is the brown of tree branches. In his wings are the green of creeping vines and fir needles. His legs are too long. Like, they unfold and then they unfold again into his great height. His neck is too long. And instead of just cocking his head, like, you know, owls do the, like, clock face. Like, they just turn their faces. He does that, but, like, it goes too far. And his neck, like, like a snapping turtle almost, just looks down. This is an acceptable gift to bring, young Uratha. And it outstretches, waiting for you to give it essence. Uh, Dan, in both a deferential and a respectful manner, gives the essence to... How much are you giving? Yeah, I think one. Jesse also copies the deferential 
stance that Dan takes and also releases a point point of essence offered to Watcher on the branches. You can see it sort of like its feathers kind of ruffle up as it takes in the essence that is gifted to it by the Aratha. And then it settles and its wings sort of drape back down around itself, almost like a cloak. And it stays up in the branches and settles back down and cocks its head in a less aggressive, more curious manner. I have watched you since you came back to the Hisil. It has been some time, Uratha. Young Uratha, why do you seek my counsel? Why do you look for me? My brother and I have been adrift since we lost Seeks the Lost. We know that he had a very close connection to you. We need a spirit willing to teach us things that Seeks the Lost should have taught us. We need to patrol this territory like Seeks the Lost did. But we can't do that without insight. You watch this whole territory and you keep that insight to yourself. Perhaps you would share it with us. The Great Spirit is quiet for a bit. Pondering. You know it to be a being of patience. You occasionally, honestly, from when you were very young, remember Hank kind of bitching about it sometimes? Mm. That it, like, it does things on its own time, on its own alien. Hank, just like you, was half spirit, but also half human. And the human half sometimes got impatient and wanted to act, and the Watcher and Branches is a Watcher. And it would take a long time. And so it is quiet. Only the churring of insects and birds in this deep part of the forest breaking the silence until the Watcher looks. I have been waiting for this conversation, young Uratha. I taught Seeks the Lost. I could teach you. But you are but two, and a great suffering comes to the Hisil. That is true. We are just two, Uratha. But I heard a rumor that you taught my uncle how to bring others into the Hisil. You taught him how to bring his mate into the Hisil. Is that true? It continues to be silent looking at you, but you get sort of the overwhelming impression of like, yes, go on. It is a, it is a silence of acknowledgement. Slowly starting to piece together like the different meanings of silences from this thing. There are three others that I have named as Uratha Hersi. He nods. Th- this is not a term that actually exists as far as Dan knows, but or as far I'm sorry, as far as Jesse knows. <laughs> as far as Dan knows, too. <laughs> yeah, Dan doesn't know either. <laughs> but um the meaning being that when Muthra birth into the first rank of spirit, they're called Hursim. So Uratha Hursim being barely formed Uratha? The Watcher nods. Another used this clumsy term. The three of them are from realms, or are tied to realms, beyond the realm of flesh. Just as we are flesh and shadow, there is a blank curiosity when you're talking about this. It seems not incapable of understanding other realms, but it is what it is. 
and it knows what it knows. And it's curious to hear what you're saying, but the, the concepts don't seem to click. One of them is tied to a realm of dream, another to the realm of underneath, and the last to a realm far above. That at, same sort of blank stare. At least, that's the best I can figure out. We will need their strength to take on the enemy. Which of the enemy do you currently wish to hunt, young Uratha? As one, Jesse and Dan say, Beshalu. The spawn of the Plague King have come to this place and gnaw at the gauntlet, and many spirits do not care, for they wish to escape the drought that comes. Others turn to things unnatural. I do not approve of these things unnatural. Nor do I wish to live in a drought. You have far more problems than simply the Beshilu young Uratha, though they must be dealt with as well. Carrion feast. He has devoured a spirit of fear. He has gone mad and is Magath. And there's like a weird undercurrent of smugness that speaks to ancient hatreds and rivalries between Carrion Feast and the Watcher and Branches. Some unknowable dislike between the two spirits. So while the Watcher doesn't seem pleased that there are Magath around, he is not sad to tell werewolves that Carrion Feast needs to be put down. Wish you my counsel, Uratha. Wish you to form a pack and a pact with me. I shall now teach you, if you wish, to bring those who are not Uratha to the Hisil with you. And in return, along with dealing with your Beshilu problem, you shall kill this new creature. This will prove to me, if you are wise, that you may hunt in the manner in which I hunt that you are worthy of being taught more, that we might guard this place as Seeks the Lost and his ilk once did. You will make this pact with the two of us? You will hunt Rot's caress? Yes. Then I will. Is the hunt and Siskerda of Rot's caress Gathra that you must receive first? You will need more to deal with Rot's caress than you will to deal with the spawn of the Plague King. I shall teach you to bring others across first, but my continued patronage is contingent upon the death of Rot's caress. And the gifts you wish to teach us now, are those contingent upon a ban? You will never strike before looking. You will never attack before knowing. I am the Watcher, and a Watcher knows its prey before it strikes. Jesse kind of slowly glances over towards Dan. <laughs> he gives his best wolf shrug. This band will be honored, Watcher in the, in the branches. Then allow me to show you how to bring allies across. And it spreads its wings, and it's got like an eight-foot wingspan. 
and then flaps and settles on the ground and envelops the two of you in its wings. John, Aviva, Lola, Dan and Jesse have left, and the three of you are in John's house. Aviva, in the dining room, after all the ghosts materialize for your breakfast that you made, you see on some of the walls, on some of the chairs, left on some of the table, just for a moment, so you know how quickly it goes away, are little bits of this, like, white, translucent, like, material as the manifested ghosts left small traces of ectoplasm all over the room. Aviva had gone back in to clean up, but she drops the bowls back down on the table and immediately goes to scrape the plasm off of the next surface. Uh, She is just gonna gun it and try to consume it as quickly as possible. She knows how this tastes. She does not want to uh, waste time in this. Uh, John, who is like cleaning off the chair and heading to go check on the hold I got put on his wall, pauses and gives a quizzical look. John and Lola, you you also see the sort of ghostly ectoplasmic remains that Aviva, yeah, is just like scooping up with her fa- hands off surfaces and shoveling into her mouth. Um, can can we get? Do you want more of that? Can I help you get some? Uh. If I touch it, is it going to go away? It goes away pretty quick, and it is what I can use to do all the shit that I do. And, and Aviva's kind of like eating, swallowing, saying a word. Just a handful of goop at this point that she's just barehanded shoveling in. Lola will uh, attempt to like scrape some off the wall into her hand. From what is in the room, you can get about three plasm before okay. it starts to dematerialize. Uh, is this ectoplasm? Do you just want some? What do you mean, do I just want some? I mean, I'm sure I can find a bit more, but... I'm pretty sure you can find a bit more, too. I can... I can just make you some, if you want. What? And Aviva kind of, like, finishes, like... Finishes scraping it off the wall and, like... Does that, like, ineffectual, like... Flick of the hand, because her hand's gross. She grabs one of the nice uh, napkins off the table and starts wiping off her hand and just stares at John. John stares at the napkin. Um, so, a master of death can create a ghost without need for someone to have been alive or anything in the first place. Now, I cannot do that, but I can create ectoplasm. What does it cost you to... Time. I mean, is that like creating a ghost petri dish of ghost cells? How does that work? I'd prefer to not think of it that way. But in essence, uh, I can I can draw from myself to create it. Or I can take something, push it into twilight, which causes it to become the very item that it was before but made from ectoplasm. Unfortunately, or usually unfortunately, when I pull it back, it is still made from ectoplasm, and I would have to take the time to convert it into another material. I mean, it's worth a shot. You want to see if that works? How much do you need? 
Not a lot more. Like a bowl or a couch? Like, uh, I guess like a bowl. Okay. You sure I'd be, I'd be happy to. And John, who's feeling a little better after breakfast, gets the rest of his bottle of alcohol and will begin to speak in high speech and perform magic. Roll it. John holds the bottle and kind of gesturing with his hands start to kind of take in this like blackened glow and he pushes the bottle into twilight. And once he's done that, then he begins making an effort to pull it back. Uh, he seems very confident about how easy it is for him to put it into twilight. He looks slightly uh, less confident about taking it out. And with one success, he reaches into nothing and draws this this clear gelatin mold of glass and within it some sort of clear fluid. And he sets it on a plate and he gets the plate and brings it over for Aviva. And he gets like a, not really sure, gets a, like a fork and knife and sets it out and... Uh, uh, enjoy. Aviva kind of uh, gives him like a wry look. Uh, she takes up the fork and knife more out of humor than necessity. She like looks at it and then decides to like sit properly at the table. Again, m- probably more like she's making fun of him like she needs to. But she, you know, like takes one of the remaining napkins, sardonically tucks it into her shirt and uh, gives it a try. Well, she says thank you before she gives it a try. I don't know how... Uh, bad rotten alcohol is about to taste (laughs) it doesn't really taste like anything it is just Mm. it's not even really alcohol anymore it's just raw ectoplasm Mm. there's not really a particular taste to it in the other realm you know if you were in twilight drinking a bottle of alcohol it would Mm. probably taste like you know stale alcohol Mm. but out here as it is it's just just is what it is uh, John, you will notice that you know when you take things out, they go away very quickly, right? Like mm. they, ghostly materials just demanifest within moments, use most of the time. Around Aviva, that materialization process, as though it's just natural around her, does not happen as quickly. Interesting. What's up? Um, you carry a bit of the underworld with you. Yeah, sometimes it shows through. People <laughs> looking at no, I mean like for regular people. No, I, I know you're just you're just very casual about it. I, I didn't expect that. Sorry. It's okay. I guess I um, yeah, I had to get used to people looking a lot. And the little flickers of the lights and uh, equipment going a little haywire sometimes. People think there's a ghost. If they're superstitious. And, um, typically actual ghosts kind of notice me too. So, I guess it's not so much a surprise. Can she eat the bottle? Technoplasm. Crunch, crunch. She narrates as she's eating. Definitely not something crunchy whatsoever. Wild. So. But that means the plasm will, like, stick around longer, or... I mean, it seems to be reacting to you. Mm. 
So what is your relationship with ghosts like? Are they, like, jealous or confiding? I mean, ghosts tend to want to be around me. Like, like I help them anchor themselves a little bit. And, you know, I try to help them when I can, and it feels like they see something in me. I don't really know what they see when they look at me. If they see the bargain between myself and the final girl, or if there's more to it than that. But I'd say it usually goes like I'm a beacon to them. So they look up to you? I don't know about all of that. I mean, a lot of the ghosts are just a lot of rats and deer die too. It's not always people like that. Okay. John, mm. what do you eat? Food. But like, like if, like if Eva can do things with the ectoplasm, what? Ah, uh, mana. Where do you get that? He points back towards the backyard. The mausoleum is centered on a knot of ley lines. And because of that, it has a holiness to it. Uh, In a way, it touches on the realms beyond in such a way that that magic coalesces and allows me to draw mana from it. Or, if I get desperate, I can scour it from myself, rip my body apart, and draw magic from within. Like pull pieces of you off? That's one way of doing it, but in a way, yeah. That sounds um, pretty terrible. No, uh, that's not the terrible ways to do it. We don't all do it the same, and there are left-handed ways. Sometimes you can sacrifice a person, a thing, some act of evil, of control, of selfishness, and sometimes they draw power that way. It seems like the group of you, at least for the most part, seem to have enemies from without. Those like you that you wrestle with in some way, we tend to be our own worst enemies. So, Like you are your own worst enemy or other mages are your own worst enemy? Like I can become my own worst enemy. And surely, I mean, as we can see last night, end up a problem for other people as well, but usually when a mage loses it, the first person they fuck is themselves. I mean, if you turn into a giant bitch, I'll break your nose, too. Is that what happened? Um, okay. So, I was... And she kind of, like, rolls her eyes as if that's gonna make what she's about to say next more casual. I was trying to wake you up because it seemed like you were drowning too much and it wasn't working, and that's when your mom came in. She seemed to have come on purpose when you would have been at your most vulnerable and she wasn't expecting me to be there. And she told me that she intended to take away your memory of all your pain. Me, me dying, all that. Lola looks a little unsettled, but not for that way. At the idea of taking someone's pain away. John's eyes narrow a little bit. 
She wanted to fuck with your head. Even if she took those memories, your back, right? I would still know you. No, she was gonna take out any trace of me, I think. She was saying that she was gonna take away all of your pain. And she didn't seem like she knew where to stop. I mean, she suggested that she could take away my pain, Lola's pain. But Just it's not hers. The impression I got was that she saw it as her right because she was able to do it. She would. Mistigo seemed to be very bad at boundaries sometimes. Lola kind of tucks into a tighter ball. I tried to tell her that you wouldn't be down for that, and she was pretty intent on doing it, so... So there was a fist fight. I tried to scare her off before I went for... Okay. I'm not mad at you. Well, you could be, but I would still do it again. I'm just saying you don't need to justify it. I get it. When I first tried to fuck her up... She manipulated everything around me so that I just crashed into the wall instead of her. And it took a lot to actually land a punch. I think she, by her reaction, that doesn't happen even. I say that because I think that we're going to have to do it again. I don't know about punching, but John, she came specifically... When you were at your most vulnerable. Maybe she's twisted fate and said that that's when she would arrive. Meaning that if we create the circumstance, we can draw her to us again. I don't know. Here's what I know. We need to hit those names, perform the summonings, and then the Black Angel. Are you guys good with that? Yeah, I'm, uh... I guess I'm good with that. I try to go easy on how much I draw on the Arcana. Sometimes people get carried away when they do that. So if I if I start getting cocky, check me. I'll do that regardless. Yeah, I'll need it. You ready, Lola? She just kind of gives a wide-eyed nod. Oh, fucked up question. Uh, can I have some of the water from... Your tub thing? Why? He kind of looks like very curious at the question. You can have my water. I'm just curious. It would help me make myself a conduit for the dead. So that if we do end up summoning, they'll be able to speak through me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to fix some coffee and uh, we'll get started. All right. John will do that. He'll fix some coffee, and he will absolutely go get some of his water for Aviva to use. So the three of you leave, and where are you doing the summoning? Presumably in your place of power, or are you doing it right here in the house? As a means of protecting the existence of my place of power from random ghosts that can potentially be summoned by cultists, Sure. Um, I'm going to be using the room that I had marked up with chalk yep. as the place that I'll be performing the summonings. Okay. Once you get the water, Aviva has also gathered the burned down candle stubs from the candelabra, as well as 
she's taken the salt from your kitchen. And she's brought it into your space. Thanks for the water. Is there anything I can do to help? Do you want to take the salt? John, do you have a circle laid down already, or...? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. Well, follow the circle. And Aviva just gives you... I mean, do you actually have, like, a salt shaker? Or is it, like, take out packets of salt? Or what's the situation here? So, when you collect this, these ritual components from the kitchen, when you arrive to the room that is prepared, Mm -hmm. there is a pretty impressive collection of ritual components that is also there along with a small library that seems to have a collection of both more modern journals and old dusty tomes Mm. all right then noting that there's probably already then like a specific container of salt i'll hand most of them over to lola but aviva will take a moment to just like pelt john with one of the salt packets as well that makes sense John raises his hand to begin casting and is hit with a salt pack and stops himself from... You've been assaulted. (laughs) Okay, we'll call that a false start. (laughs) Just along the circle there, I think, if you you want. I figure. So, a bit of self-awareness. I have a little bit of an issue of kind of just getting to the point, and these people have been through a great deal. Mm. And there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to make them uncomfortable. Sure. Um, the two of you are pretty good at, you know, just talking to people. Lola's a lot better. I'm, I know what they're feeling. I don't know that I'm better at articulating it, but I can, I can help keep you on track. Well, to be clear, I'm good with you speaking up whenever you feel like you need to. Okay. Would it work best if I offer myself as a speaker for the dead once you've finished, right? I don't know. Uh, so I'm summoning them straight here. Mm. We can check whether they can just talk first. Yeah. Gotcha. Lola seems, as she sprinkles the salt, to have be familiar with what this means. And she kind of adds her own like fey magic bent to it, but she... She understands the process. Mm-hmm. But, like, she'll occasionally throw some over her shoulder, or she'll spin around once and then throw it down, or, you know, take hop once, take it back now, y'all, and then start throwing more salt. Okay. I'm going to spend a point of willpower, and the first thing I'm going to be doing is giving myself the ability to control the dead. Okay. I have six successes. That's an exceptional success. So what this will do is I can speak to the dead and command them to obey my will. I'm largely doing this as a means of self-defense if they freak out and try to hurt someone. Okay. And then once that's done, I will begin the first summoning. John holds his arms out. Annie Artie, come to me. To save you from, like, rolling 13 times here, let's have you roll once yeah. for everyone. Does my occult spec and ghosts apply? Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Three successes. Three successes. You begin the, the occult summoning. For those of you who are not in the zone, like John, once again, the lights seem to dim in here. There is like a chill, there's a chill in the air, and specifically for John, 
The shadows seem to deepen, and no one appears when you call out for Annie Hardy. Do you think maybe she passed on? No. I think that, or I'd guess, it would be that not enough of her soul made it out of how she was killed. Aviva looks angry, but falls quiet. The next name on the list is Ralph Burl. Ralph Burl, come to me. And again, the circle kind of ripples with shadow, and he makes an attempt at plucking the ghost from wherever they are and manifesting them before him. And once more, no one appears. Is something happening that I'm just not seeing? The magic is working. They're just not. They're not out there. But the thing is, we saw in the Uber, we saw that there was someone, at least one person, who had been killed by them and continued on. Who's the most recent one on the list? The list that Estrada gave you is in chronological order. Okay. Lindsay Strode is the most recent, but I'm going to take them in order just to see where, if that's a factor, it comes into play. What if you called her to start with to know if that's a valid method? If you think so, yeah, sure. If time's a factor and we're losing time, then the most recent might give us more information on how far back the magic might stretch. I don't know. I'm bullshitting. We have to go through all of them anyways, so I don't see any reason to not go for it. So that works just fine by me. Lindsay Strode, come to me. There is no appearance. John sips his coffee. When was the last lodge meeting? I don't know. Recent? I know Gary had mentioned it, but I don't recall exactly when the meeting was scheduled. Maybe they did something then. Hey, there's another name. To try after, if none of those work. Marsha Thompson. It's the the person that I uh, encountered on my way into town. It could work, but run through what you got left. Okay, let me, uh... And you go down the list of names. Alice Rubinstein. Come to me. There is uh, nothing manifests. Aviva. Yep. The name Alice Rubenstein. You are plunged into a remembrance. You remember through the final girl flashes, images, laughter and friends and beers in the back of a truck driving up into the woods. You remember sitting next to a blonde girl very best friend in the world you remember drinking and campfires and s'mores and sex and camp activities you remember all of it you remember the name as a boy looks across from as you sit on a dock your feet in the water and he says hey Alice hey Alice come on come skinny dipping with us You remember all of that at once. You will now increase your synergy by one. As the final girl is just lost in memories. And you feel her not quite remember exactly who she is. And she is too far gone from the waters of the underworld to truly weep. 
but that sense of having to cry and being right on the cusp is almost overwhelming. Lola, Mm -hmm. you feel all of that. Not the images, but the overwhelming sense of sorrow and nostalgia and hope and love flashes for a brief moment from not Aviva, but somewhere... Somewhere in the room. This is not something you can harvest. These are not mortal yeah. feelings, but you feel them nonetheless. Is she summoned? She is not. There is not quite enough of her left in the way that matters to this ritual to be summoned. Or maybe she is, she's just already here. It's tough to tell. I mean... Synergy and understanding is something that she pursued with her guys for a very long time. It's what she spent doing when she got back to the mortal world. So I don't think that Aviva's intending to be closed off to the feeling, especially not when it's a surprise like this. And like <laughs> the idyllic images and um, almost like like summer camp vibes of uh being with or maybe exactly like summer camp vibes like summer camp if you were in your early 20s okay regardless it's so perfect and resonant and um well synergistic i don't think aviva's gonna hold back letting a couple tears roll out and she doesn't seem like she's personally hurt but it's that kind of empathetic automatic bodily reaction um that she's almost like lending that function over to the final girl as she seems to learn her name lola kind of audibly gasps as the feeling it descends on them she knows exactly what it means to have someone say your name when you have yourself forgotten it she is aware that it is Aviva's body reacting as proxy to someone else's feelings, but it is all intensely real. I think we, um, I think we know where Alice is at. Alice, uh, meet John and Lola. John and Lola, this is Alice. Lola looks to John. You, You gave her her name back. Lola, you don't see the final girl, but John, you are acutely aware of the presence that always follows Aviva. The long shadow washed away of most of what makes it even human. Chunks of it missing. John watches Aviva as though concerned he might have to intervene on her behalf. Remembering back to the smashed dumpster and the violent outburst that the final girl had the last time. The last time that emotions ran high. So he looks towards the final girl and kind of pauses his string of summons and waits to see what she's going to do before proceeding. He doesn't like talk to her or nag her or question her about her feelings. He just gives her the room for a moment. And ways to see if she's good to go. There's a long, tense, pregnant pause in the room. But the final girl does not lash out. She is not helpless in this moment. She is not 
confused in this moment. She is bathed in understanding and gratitude, even if the glimpses of it are fleeting. It's good to see that for you. Hey, John, thank you. The presence sheds no tears. It is too alien for tears yet. Mm. But in this moment, it is slightly more human. He gives a nod and takes deep breath. Hi, Alice. Ted Tierney, come to me. There is no response. Kirk Hardesky, come to me. And appearing in the ritual circle is a man who looks like, I don't know, maybe in his late 20s. Early to, early to late 20s, somewhere in there. He's wearing like really short bicycle shorts and like a tank top. And it takes a second. Oh, he's, he's dressed as a lifeguard. But half of his face is missing. He carries the wounds of a violent death and pressed into his temple on the half of his face that is not missing is the not-quite-perfect representation of a human skull with a cog in its forehead. And he looks troubled and afraid and in pain. (gasps) Seeing him. John heads to a shelf, picks up a journal or pen, kind of gives the pen a click to get it ready. I have some questions I'm going to be asking. We need to know them because the answers may lead to us helping other people. John kind of speaks very, like, direct and to the point with the ghost. How well can you communicate? By the nature of the damage that it seems to be living in, Kirk is having a difficult time communicating in a way that matters. He's, he's more than just a, a mere specter who is living out the final moments of his death, but only just. John, can he write? Can you give him the pen? He would need a voice. He may be able to write if you can manifest him in such a way that he could pick up a pen. I think we have a solution that may be more effective for him. And he kind of looks to Aviva. Hey, Kirk. Want to borrow a mouth? And with that, Aviva is on the edge of the summoning circle, correct? Uh, I mean, the circle of salt was actually preemptive in case Aviva would be able to help someone pass on. Mm-hmm. So she's not really paying too much mind about where the circle... I mean, she, she would sit where... Essentially where John indicated. Kirk sort of nods and then, like, takes some ethereal steps and gets to the edge of John's summoning circle and then cannot pass beyond in the way that would require him to sort of use Aviva to speak. Aviva takes the burnt-down end of the candles from the candelabra. She rubs her fingers uh, on the wick getting as much of the black soot onto them as possible. She smears that black soot onto her own lips, and she takes the water that John brought to her. She sets it down at the edge of the circle. Using it as a mirror, she invites Kirk to look into it as well and share the mirror as a way of sharing the voice. At the edge of the mage's summoning circle, he looks with, like, one half of his face, and then from Aviva's mouth. Make a roll. 
I'm going to spend a willpower. Okay. So that is stamina plus composure plus willpower. All right. Three successes. The ghost of Kirk Hardesty looks down at its own shattered visage, and then from Aviva's blackened lips comes a strange combination of her own voice and a man's voice. And he says, Who are you? Where am I? What's happening? I've called you here because there are people who are soon going to need as much help as they can get. The people that did what they did to you are hurting others. And I need information that will help see whatever it is that they're trying to do undone. What happened to Alice Sally? Did they get away? I don't know. What do you remember? We were, we were coming up. We were going to go camping. In Union Park Forest. There's, there's places up there. and there's a, There was an old camp, you know? It'd been run down for years, but we were going to, you know, the buildings were still there. We brought up a bunch of beers, some weed, and we were just going to have like a really good, really good vacation. It's a good time, right? And, and then this, this like, this like psycho, this like masked psycho just started killing people. Just grabbing us and people were dying and we, we tried to run, but it, it was like, it was like no matter what we did, he was always a step ahead of us. Do you recall the mask? I was, it was like a, it's like this metal face. It was, it was, it was like a, I don't know, like a furnace or something, but like, like a great, I, I don't know, it, was, it, it looked heavy. I don't, he was fast, he was like always a step ahead of us. He had like a, like a power drill. And what do you remember about the power drill? It was just a, a hid at one point. And uh, Franklin, he, uh, I was under the bed and Franklin tried to hide in the closet and I just, it was red and black, like, like a tradesman, you know, like a tradesman power tool. Hmm. But it was just a drill, but like it was too long. It was, it was like big, like a like a like a cement drill. And he was in the closet, and this this guy, this what, whoever the fuck he was, just the drill went right through the door. And I could hear Franklin screaming. Beneath the mask, did he say anything? Was there any chanting? No. Was there any anything anything distinct about the person themselves that was doing what they were doing? He, um, I'm going to roll for Kirk. See if Kirk remembers. Okay. As the ghost is, seems to be struggling, Lola, as is her wont to do, sort of just kind of steps into his eye view and gives a compassionate look, trying to give him some strength to carry on, and I will spend a willpower to give him three extra dice on the roll. All right, Ferris. That actually brings Kirk's die pool to remember details surrounding the moments before his own death into stark relief. Yeah, unfortunately, John doesn't look at the ghost with the amount of sympathy that someone probably should. He's kind of looking at it like it might be a means to an end. Not that he necessarily feels that way, but he's just not very good at showing that he cares. Thanks to that willpower expenditure from the fairest changeling in the room, Kirk screws up his broken face in thought, and then from Aviva's lips 
says, Yeah, um, he, he had a, a ring. I couldn't see his face. He, he was silent. He wasn't saying anything. Just methodical. Like, like, like he didn't feel anything for what he was doing, but on his, on his hand, he had a, he had a ring, like a, like a signet ring. And, and it had this, like, I don't know, like a skull or something on it. I, and, and after he, he pulled Franklin out of the closet after Franklin was mostly dead. Just his guts all torn out by that fucking drill. And, and he just pushed his ring into Franklin's head. Like, I, I could hear, like, Franklin was, like, dying, but he was screaming. I didn't know why he was still alive, and then, and then he wasn't, and then he, and then he found, I gasped, and then it's like he doesn't want to remember past that point, and he stops. Thank you, Kirk. Uh, right, uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Kirk. That's a big help. Weirdly, Aviva's voice comes out without Kirk's. Appreciate it. Hey, John, what else do you need to ask? On the forehead of the skull, depicted on the ring, what's there? Can you remember? He did not get an exceptional success. He does not know. It's okay if you can't. From Aviva's lips, thank you. Can, can you guys do anything for him? Yeah, well, I can try. I mean, no offense, Kirk, I'm really hoping that um, I can... It's just that, well, I'm hoping that if what I can do for you works, that we won't be able to talk to you anymore. He looks, and it's weird because you're having a conversation with yourself. (laughs) But from your lips, he says, Please, it hurts so much. Were you, um, religious, Kirk? Not really. I guess, uh, you should know that coming here... You're helping to undo what's been done. The things that were done to you, that were done to your friends. We're gonna use what you tell us to make sure that stops fucking happening. And you should know that you're not alone. I know some of your friends, and they're here with you, and they can help you pass over. And Aviva kind of, like, looks... To where she looks over her shoulder when she's thinking about the final girl, Alice. Kirk looks around. He doesn't seem able to see quite the same way. Maybe it's that he's such a pale shade. Who knows? But he looks at you and then again with your voice says, If you see him, if you see Alice, if you see Sally, tell him I'm sorry. I should have fought. I should have tried to help him get away, and I hid. I'm so sorry. John gives a guilty look. Aviva checks in over at John, trying to catch what's up. I know things didn't go great in the past, but maybe... Maybe you just helped make things better for someone else. And it's not a perfect prize, but... Spectral tear runs down the unruined side of his face. You should know that, you know, that message, it's at least half passed on. And I hope that leaves you without anchors and that if you both are ready, she looks to John and Lola. 
that we can see about guiding you to the other side. He does not respond. Just sort of nods. It seems like all of this, despite the help of the Geist and the Moros and the Fairest, is draining on his meager existence. Safe journeys. I am going to attempt the ritual pass on. Okay. What do you do? As Aviva's talking about hoping that he can reach the other side, maybe she would have done something more complicated. Her thought process seems to have hinged on whether or not this ghost had a particular religion or spirituality. But as he seems tired and the tears are going down his face, she indicates the salt that Lola has poured into the circle and points it out as a way of exit to Kirk. Make the roll. Okay. I'm gonna spend another willpower. Manipulation plus empathy plus willpower roll. Is it clear that you're helping this guy find peace? I should think so. I narrated it. Yeah, take a willpower. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, And Lola kind of walks over and, like, puts her hand on... It it turns out being Aviva's shoulder, but she's (laughs) reaching for for Kirk's. Uh Uh-huh. Two successes. Oviva indicates the circle of salt. Kirk begins to walk. He doesn't make any progress, but you see him clearly walking somewhere, even though it looks like he's moving in place, bound by the circle, but almost following the circle to somewhere. And what he sees no longer appears to be what all of you see. And with each step that he takes, the ruined and broken corpse that he appears to be begins to resolve slowly into the image of a young man who lived a flawed but ultimately good life who made choices he regretted and is coming to terms with who he was and the more that he walks the more you see him seem to manifest into just a living man that begins to fade away and there is a smile on his face suddenly like he sees something that none of you can see like he is being welcomed somewhere and before any clarity of what it is that he is appearing to go through right now can fully click into place He disappears with one last afterimage of a young man in a lifeguard's uniform smiling and then the room is dark tinged with shadow once again. Aviva, if you have any missing, regain all of your plasm. Well, I'm pretty good on that, but that's alright because uh, she's already wiping off the tears that she was sharing with the final girl. There might have been one or two sneaking in at the end there, but no, definitely not. Don't worry about that. She's kind of got a bit of a rogue grin. Lola's hand is still on her shoulder. Yeah, sentimental rogue grin as she's watching this guy disappear. And uh, it's not like it's like a shoulder bump into the hand. I think it just kind of like a, yeah, right, kind of 
motion. John looks at Aviva kind of like, like he wants to give comfort, but like hesitates for a moment. Lola grabs him uh, by the shoulder you... and drags him over. <laughs> <laughs> Your hesitation. <laughs> she learns quickly. <laughs> As he's like right about to resolve himself, he's just dragged over mm-hmm. and he hugs Aviva. Mm-hmm. Aviva pulls the two of them into the hug. Why don't we take a little break? Yeah, that's probably for the best. Especially if there's more of them that need our help. Yeah. Dan, Jesse, back in the material world, the two of you approach John's house, where, in theory, the others are. Early afternoon at this point, approaching the house, you feel sort of a a chill in the air, despite the late summer. But the two of you arrive back, having had your communication with the Watcher in Branches, who you now know watches over you and your little pack. Inside the house, John, Lola, Aviva are just stepping out, having had a somewhat emotionally intense conversation with a dead man. And the group of you all gather back up. Dan will come in, see them kind of somewhat morose? What's the general feel? Always morose. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Boo. Well, we had just been hugging it out, so I imagine we've probably just stepped away from hugging it out. So, not, I don't think, for at least my character's perspective on it, not at all a bad vibe. Okay. Kind of gra- like a grateful vibe, really. Grateful dead. Yeah. 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 Boo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dana, come in like, good news. We know where the rats are. Uh, during when you were head in, John is actually like remove the hammock from his wall and is working on repairing his home and he like looks over his shoulder okay so where are they abandoned warehouse up in the factory area they took off after you know they got a hold of these guns jesse is uh rooting through a cigar box that he picked up somewhere along the way um through a bunch of little bobs and bits he's like looking at little coins and, and doodads and shiny things that he's squirreled away. When he picked up this box, not clear, but he doesn't seem to, really seem to be listening to a lot of the conversation. He's kind of focused on the box. Do you guys know how many rats there are? Nope. No, we, we still got to scout the spot, he says, while looking at different bits and bobs. Gotcha. We can also bring people to the shadow. Right. Mm. <laughs> John says, kind of working on the wall. I'm not sure what I could do to help you there, but. Why not? It's a realm of all spirit. Yeah. The cigar box snaps shut. Do you think you could polish some coins for me? No. But, um, spirit is the arcana I struggle the most with. No, no, no. Like, seriously, can, can you, like, get them, like, shiny and mirror, surf- mirror smooth? I can do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. He comes over and, and lays oh, out no, a no, collection. No, 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 I'm not going to. Um, but, Dan. But why not? I cannot uh, channel death or matter, nothing that I don't bring there myself. It's like, uh, it's like walking into a white room for me. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Got Even shadows cast there aren't the, the stuff of death. Huh. 
everything there is kind of like a, a totemic representation, not truly it. All right. Well, considering that you can't g- do anything over there, how about you do something here and shine these coins up for me, please? Yeah, like so I'm definitely not doing that. Uh, but there are things that I can do to help some of you guys prepare for the fight. Look, but I have to do it all here. Okay, so uh, an important thing yeah. about what I do is that to use it to accomplish things that you can do without the use of magic is like a sin. It's doing something horrible. It's the first step down the path of abusing power. So yes, shining coins is not something that I'm going to use it for. But you don't know what I need the coins for. Is it important? I think so. Then you should shine them. <sighs> but I can't just, I can't use my magic to do it, and I don't really want to do your chores when I'm in the middle of repairing a wall that you, like, roughed up. I did that? Yeah. You did. When did I do that? Last night. That doesn't sound like me. It sounds entirely like you. Mm. I remember making a hammock hole. Where was it? I don't know. My hammock's on the ground now. Well, I think I found it for you. I have I have the stuff you can use to clean the coins if you need it, but I'm taking care of this. All right. Well, where where are supplies to do that? There's some closet space down that hole. He kind of points. Lola has been kind of just like regrounding herself in doing like bar warm ups using the back of the couch. She hasn't put on the dance shoes or anything like that. She's just going through motions at this point that she knows by rote. But as not really taking her eyes off of what she's doing, kind of just calls over. What do you need the coins for, Jesse? A project. What kind of project? A spiritual one? I'm going to go root through your closet. And he goes hopping off down the hallway. It's just, you know, pretty standard cleaning supplies and stuff for, like, cleaning silver. So what did... What did you guys actually do while you were gone? Talk to a big giant moss owl tree bird thing. Good conversation. More or less. I mean, he taught us some stuff. We made a pact with it. He told us where the Bishaloo are. Bishaloo. Rat people. Uh, It was pretty good. He was our uncle's uh, totem. So there's already some sort of connection between you? Yeah, yeah, I guess stuff's going wonky over there, and um, he also needs us to take care of something that ate something it shouldn't have, and now it's, like, real bad. Is that a before the Bechelieu problem or an after the Bechelieu problem? Probably after, from my thinking. The Bechelieu are tearing away the gauntlet. We need to stop the them from doing that. Well, it okay. sounds like, John, you're probably not looking to be brought in then. If you're not really able to use... I mean, where are you... How do you think we can help? Yeah, I'll go where my friends need me to go, but there are places that I'm better than places that I'm, you know... It seems like they so probably inhabit both sides, so... I was thinking maybe, uh... Hit him from the both sides approach. Okay. Sounds like John isn't going to do very well in the seal, so he should be on not his seal side. Jesse comes walking back in with ripped pieces of uh, fabric. Looks like they were probably bed sheets at one point. Kind of ho- held up in his hands. Hey, Dan, if if my blood was on these uh, strips, would you freak out about that? I don't think so. Okay, good. He walks back into the other room. 
So I'm guessing the werewolf. Where do those sheets look like they're from? <laughs> Probably a set of your sheets. Dan? Yeah. Your brother's really pissing me off. I say, like, not sounding overly emotional. But it's, it's weird. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure what he's doing. He's ripping up sheets. I mean, I got that. I just mean, why? Do you mind finding out? I could. I'd appreciate it. Like right now? Yeah. Okay. Hold on. So Dan goes walking down the hallway. What the hell are you doing? Don't come in here! I go in there. Jesse has cut open his palm and is bleeding out onto some of the, uh, is putting some of his blood onto some of the rags. What are you doing? He kind of hides the, the blood. Okay, you're not... I'm always. I'm never sure what what sets you off or not. I would have to damage you right now. I'm pretty sure that's it. Oh, gotcha. All right. Well, wait. What do you mean? What am I doing? What are you doing? Did you not listen to anything Watcher in the Branches said? I listened to all of it. So you remember all of the components we need to do for the right to have our our friends pass over into the Hasil? No. So you didn't listen to anything. I did. I didn't maintain it all. <laughs> <sighs> I heard every word. Look, uh, alright, well, I'm, I'm getting all the things ready so that they can pass over. Maybe you could just tell them that. Well, I figured you were telling. What were you guys talking about? The plan to actually attack them. Well, it's just not going to work if they're not in the Hasil. I, yeah, I get that. Also, we definitely need to do some scouting. Or but, at least I need to do some scouting. Yeah, but you know, One of the pack needs to it's scout. It's really infuriating when you just do stuff and like, destroy things without telling people why. I didn't destroy anything. Where did you get those rags from? He had a pile of rags in the uh, in the, the closet over there. Do you mean bed sheets? Well, yeah, that what were I, well, clearly folded and clean. Well, I mean, what? I, I'm not gonna judge how he keeps his rags. I'm pretty sure you did by calling them rags. <laughs> well, I mean, what would you call these? Sheets. Really? They're kind of torn up. After you're done with them, yes. Mm, who's who's to say when they were torn up? You know, you know, I can hit you with that. Setting my crew trigger off, right? You want to work this out, or do you want to go after Beshalu? Stop destroying things that aren't yours. Okay. Just ask. It's a courtesy. Okay. I come back. Close the door. He's doing ritual stuff. It's part of the thing we need to get anyone across the side. I told you guys I can just, I can just open a door there, right? She absolutely did not mention that to anybody. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I can open a door and get us to any realm. That's why I had wings. Well, I'm happy to give whatever you guys need to do what you need to do. But I don't think it's unreasonable that what is mine and myself is respected in the process of doing that. Yep. I made that clear to him. Thank you. So, it needs to be scouted to find out how many are there. I can go with you into the Shadow Realm if that's what you want. You know vastly more than me about this. But I think it will help if I prepare you in advance. That way, just in case I'm even more limited than I thought, it doesn't become... I don't become such a liability to you. Per Lola, I don't think any of us should operate on independently. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So... Um, I'm thinking of Eva and John should do material plane hit. 
Okay. You guys probably work well together, as far as I can tell. Well, my plan was to put on the coal, get some armor, get a little better at punching. You know, work together with my roommate on it. Watch out for the priest-looking things. Mm. They're nasty. So if I can have some um, punching power, then that should make us a good combo. Not to break up whatever plan is happening, but shouldn't one of the wolves be on each team? If we're there and the, the gauntlet is low, we might be able to cross over one way or another. I, I know what I'm looking at based on what I've seen, but I don't know what to look for, and I can't see what you see. Again, no expert, but I figure we should base where the bulk of our fighting force is on what side they're on. The, so we need more information, really. Yeah, we'll probably scout in more, but I'm feeling, based on how we interacted with them last time, a number of them are going to be on the shadow side. What's the best way to scout this? Jesse. Alright. I also don't want to throw a, a wrench into things, but I could I could really... Where, where are people having big feelings these days? What? Hmm. I... That's a good question. I can't... I can't do what I do. Bowling alley? Bowling alley. People drink a little, have a good time. People seem to smile there. It doesn't need to be good feelings. What do you need? I need the feelings. The feelings become dreams. And dreams are what I use. I need the feelings. You mean like the same way that I was eating plasm? Yeah. I've done it once, but I, it's not enough. I need to do more. You want me and you, we can go to the bowling alley. Just so you're not alone and you can grab some of that. You shouldn't be seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably a Do- better idea. A door opens down the hall, and Jesse comes walking out with an assortment of poorly prepared ritual items that anybody who's actually good at rituals is probably looking at with questioning glances. He's got mirrored coins, bits of cloth stained with blood, and some kind of leafy little twig. I think this is going to do the trick. This ought to get us in the hissiel. Okay. Does it work like, can you guys only do the ritual, or can other people do the ritual? Just us. Got it. So, in that case, it might really be good to have a werewolf on both teams. It's not going to be a short thing. Oh, okay. How long does it take? And we would have to go through a specific area, more mm. than likely. Okay. It'll probably take us a better part of an hour. That's probably a fair assessment. Based on what I remember the watcher saying. Most rituals take about an hour at least. So if I can't really be spotted, then someone going with Lola while Jesse does the scouting? Does that sound about right? That sounds about right to me. I'm going to need time to prepare. Which side are you going to scout from? I think I'm going to scout through the Hesiel. You want me to go? I don't think you need to go yet. I don't think anyone should be alone. I don't think it's just huntsmen that are after any of us. I have concerns. If the ritual thing works, I could go with Jesse so you're not alone. But then that leaves John, so... Um, I think he's fairly safe inside I'm pretty safe here. I'm not really convinced of that with what your mom just pulled. I'm either safe here or nowhere. Yeah. 
Aviva rolls her eyes a lot, but she doesn't decide that this is the moment to continue arguing. If someone's going to be alone, then there's no reason it shouldn't be any one of us. So if you all have preparations you need to make, I can go by myself. Well, no, that's bad. Don't look surprised that knows it's... You're the one that yeah. we know has someone after yeah, you. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So Jesse. Yeah. Who do you want as backup? Ideally? Yes. I think it should just be me. If that helps you be stealthy, get in, get out, that makes sense. People forget about me. They don't forget about you guys. Yeah. Fair enough. I can go with Lola to the bowling alley. I think that's probably okay. a, better, a, a good idea. You... I think Aunt June would probably also like to see you at some point. She, I told her what I told her where we've been and what we've been up to, but you should probably check in with the family. I could use a couple pound-sized burgers. Ugh. Hey, Dan. Yeah. Can you grab some food while you're out? Can do. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I'd like some. Do you still do like the what do you call it? Uh, a peach pie. Aunt June might make that more. Um, Actually. I'm not sure if it's in season. Do you want to just go back to that original plan before everything went to shit and I hold out my card? <laughs> yeah. Get some clothes, food. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, any equipment that you think we might need for this? Sure. I'm down for a shopping adventure. I know a good place. Yeah, if you're looking for something stylish, Dan's the guy to send with you. I know the lady that works behind the counter. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll get you every hookup you need. Friends and family discounts. Yeah. Black card doesn't matter. You're right. So it sounds like everybody's splitting up to do a little bit of prep work before trying to deal with the Beshalu problem. So I think Jesse is going to swing by the factory area, just kind of do a, a quick looky-loo. Okay. Keeping an eye out for anything suspicious or anything rat-like. Before heading to the uh, the quarry locus, roll me an intelligence investigation. Will uh, will my my uh, keen sense of scent help in this uh, investigation? Yeah, you can apply it. It'll it'll apply to a couple of things. Two successes. With two successes, the that scent of like iron slag of mm. the factory being in production is much stronger out here. It is very clearly like. The factory is in full swing production. You see smoke chugging out of the, the main smokestacks. Um, most of the outlying buildings, you know, this used to be like a big factory complex. Most of it was re- consolidated into the main building. Some of the older buildings on the outskirts are used for storage or things like that. But there is one building off and towards the back of where they're all laid out, actually kind of close to the woods line. You would guess that it's far enough away from what people are doing to uh, be a decent place for a nest to chew through unmolested. If they had picked an area that had a locus where people were going through, they don't have to chew through at a locus. It was just convenient for them to be there uh, at the church basement. But if they are, thanks to Dan and Lola, maybe avoiding where people congregate, mm-hmm. that would be the place. When he does a, a, a walk through there, does the gauntlet give any weird indication that it's been damaged here? Uh, are you looking across the gauntlet? Are you perceiving, or are you just walking like regular? How close is it to nighttime? It's probably about three in the afternoon. So you've got, it's late summer, so like call it like eight o'clock for sundown. Yeah, so you got like five I'll, hours. I'll, I'll, I, I, will, uh, I will peer across. Okay. This close to the factory, which you really haven't 
been around in a while. You peer across the gauntlet. The gauntlet does seem weak out near that building. Something is chewing on it down there. And also, peering across the gauntlet in the factory, I need you immediately to make a resolve composure check. Mm. One success. You do not immediately go insane. As you look across the gauntlet and see a massive iron-like... It's almost like a girder, or you know, like all the bars that connect together into like a triangle to make like a radio tower? Yeah. It's like that, made of this old rusted iron, and it is on the other side of the gauntlet. It is in the heat seal, and it seems to reach to eternity. And as Nuratha, you know exactly, this is not a spirit. This is something alien. This is something unnatural, and it is piercing straight through the he seal, built in the he seal. And since you passed, gain the two-point merit unseen sense for infrastructure. You may choose to gain the spooked condition, which you now have, Mm -hmm. to sense the presence of whatever this fucking thing is. The abyssal entity that came out at the cabin was beyond your understanding, but at least, like, touched on concepts you might have been able to, like, make somewhat analogous this is nothing that you have ever seen before or heard of before and with that unseen sense up you realize that unseen coming from the factory itself there is an identical one of those things in this layer of reality as well as if they are coexisting not like it's piercing the gauntlet but like they are actually melded they are the same that it is underpinning multiple layers of reality all at once. That's bad. And you start to understand the scope of what is wrong in Asheville. Forgetting Asheville is an actual play Chronicles of Darkness podcast set in the fictional New England town of Asheville. Aviva Caradano was played by Rebecca Steigelfest. Dan Swanson was played by Tim Davis. Jesse Swanson was played by Garrett Gabby. John Taggart was played by Lex Lopez. Lola Gardner was played by Erica Webb. Your storyteller was Rob Muirhead. Recording and editing by Rebecca Steigelfest. The music used in this episode was by Victoria Borodnova. You can find their music on pixabay.com. Forgetting Asheville uses the second edition Chronicles of Darkness rule sets, including Changeling the Lost, Geist the Sin Eater, Mage the Awakening, Werewolf the Forsaken, and other Chronicles source materials, with a few select house rules. The Chronicles of Darkness are produced by Onyx Path Publishing. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at at PathOfNightPod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash pathofnightpodcast, or email us at pathofnightpodcast at gmail.com. You can help support the show at coffee.com slash pathofnight. See you next time, outsiders. Tim thinking. Your plasm doesn't refresh fast either unless you've got a fucking Moros running around just like fucking baby birding ectoplasm. In your so mouth. where are we picking back up? <laughs> so. Thank you for that image, Rob. That is image that has been talked about since we started playing this Rob, game. This, that is not me. Jesus, Before. Rob. <laughs> We're like concepts. Baby birding plasm. <laughs> it was pretty much right away. <laughs> It wasn't that gross. We didn't make sound effects. <laughs> Scale it back. Why are you making grub? Shoot noises? plasma all over the walls. <laughs> 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 all right.
wants to hose a plasma. Rob, can you, can you give me a, an audio of what it sounds like for the grubbler to be hanging out in a bunch of plasma? Or plasma? Joke again, fuck you guys. Thank you.